summer of 2018, I spent five days in Talladega, Alabama. If you've never been, well, you've never been. And I didn't know anything about Talladega besides Ricky Bobby uh, before that. I, um, I was speaking at a youth camp at Shaco Springs Youth Campground or campground there in Talladega, just outside of Talladega. And the first morning I was there, I woke up and I thought to myself, I need to find some, a good, decent cup of coffee. I need to find, that was, that was my, my, I set the bar here. I need to find a decent cup of coffee to start this day. So I opened my iPhone, got the Maps app out, and, uh, and I, I searched coffee nearby. And just within a few miles, there was a place called Daily Grind Coffee Shop. So I routed it, got in the car, drove on over to Daily Grind, pulled into the shopping center parking lot, looked around, saw a vape shop, saw a, a uh, liquor store, saw a, a CrossFit gym, and in the middle of the, sh- the parking lot, I saw a freestanding Domino's pizza. And I saw no coffee shop. But right where the coffee shop should be, there's a Domino's pizza, a freestanding building in the middle of the parking lot. So I thought, man, maybe, I don't know, did I get this wrong? Did they move? Maybe they moved locations in the map. The app hasn't updated. So I called the number on the app, on the, on the map app, and, uh, and ring, ring, hello? Sweet-sounding southern woman answers the phone. I say, hey, I'm looking for a Daily Grind coffee shop. Yes, yeah, dear. I said, yeah, uh, I'm, well, I, 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 um, I, I can't find you guys. Did you change? You moved? Did the address change? This is the address I have for you. She said, no, that's where we're at. And I said, well, I'm here. And the only thing that I see is a Domino's pizza. And she said a sentence that still reverberates in my memory these years later. She said, Honey, we're in the Domino's. <laughs> I looked up, and before me was the Domino's pizza, and I looked a little closer, and on the window was written, Daily Grind Coffee Shop. So I said, all right, see you in a minute. I, I parked, I went inside, and sure enough, there is a, it's, I'm in a Domino's pizza that has been renovated, it's split in half, right down the middle. One half is Domino's, the other half is Daily Grind Coffee Shop, but it's the same like tile and walls and everything. And, uh, and, and the, the woman I've been talking to on the phone is behind the counter and she goes, oh, there's a good story here. Turns out her husband owned the Domino's and, uh, and he said, I don't need all this square footage. People just come pick up their pizzas and they leave. And she, honey, how about you do that coffee shop you've been thinking about? He renovates and they work side by side, pizza on one side, coffee on the other. I went back every day for the next five days. Daily Grind Coffee Shop, Talladega, Alabama. We're starting a new series today that will be in for the rest of the summer. We're going to be in Revelation 2 and 3. And we're, it's, it's a, a series on the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. In the next seven weeks, starting next week, we'll be be looking at one of those seven letters. Today's going to be kind of an intro week, but we're in the book of Revelation. Now, this is not a series on Revelation. We would need the rest of the year to really work all the way through Revelation. We're going to be focusing on these, these seven letters to the seven churches on these, in these two chapters. But today, I want to begin with a little bit of information about Revelation and a little bit of context. And when we talk about the book of Revelation and what's happening here, we're actually talking about the experience of seeing what was right in front of you 
that you were unaware of until that very moment. This is what John the Revelator is talking about in Revelation chapter 1. That he, he has a vision, he has a revelation of something that has always been reality. But he hadn't seen it yet. In fact, the word revelation, it's, it's the same word as apocalypse that's uh, used in the Greek. When we hear apocalypse, we think that apocalypse means like a world-ending event. Or you, 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 know, you watch The Walking Dead and it's like post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, TV or film or something like that. Apocalypse just means revelation. It means an unveiling. It means a lifting of the curtain. It means looking and seeing clearly enough that the Daily Grind coffee shop is in the dominoes. <laughs> so we're going to read Revelation chapter 1 together, whole chapter. You guys cool with that? Yeah? All right. Open your Bibles. Revelation 1. Starts with this, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to, the, to, to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits, you might have a footnote that says that is the sevenfold spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. This is the revelation of Jesus, the beginning, the beginning of this book. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds. He's quoting Daniel 7. Look, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, and those who pierced him, pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. Quoting Zechariah now, so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Quick check-in. How are we doing? Good? Halfway through a chapter of Revelation, Sunday morning. You're making it. Let's keep going. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos. So he's starting to tell a story now. That was like a little intro to the intro. So he, he, was, he was exiled on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I turned around to, to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. This is again a, an allusion to Daniel chapter 7 referring to someone like a son of man. I saw someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool 
I'm reminded of, that makes me think of Big Daddy for whatever reason. His teeth were made of wool. Do you remember that? Wood. No, his teeth were made of wood. Okay, whatever. <laughs> white like wool. As white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. Confession. This verse is all, actually, okay. I was just was discipled by movies growing up, I guess. I, this, this verse always reminded me of Zoolander. You know, Mugatu, played by Will Ferrell, he's got the white hair and the eyes. Obey my dog. Like, I always pictured that when I read this verse. His, this is a crazy scene. His hair on his head was white like wool, as, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. This is the unveiled picture of Jesus. John is seeing one like a son of man and he's, he's got a, re- the curtain is pulled up and he's got a, he's got a revelation of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah in this moment. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed by what he's seeing in the, the experience of the glory of God. It is, he's falling prostrate before Jesus. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. These are important words for us at the beginning of the book of Revelation. How many of us avoid reading this book? Because we are a little afraid. (laughs) What am I going to read? What's going to be there? I don't know if I'm ready for that, Jesus. This is not what this sermon is about. But I think we've got some misconceptions in the modern church that the Jesus of the Gospels, we like him, but I try to stay away from that, that, that scary Jesus in Revelation. It's almost like he's a different Jesus. But at the beginning of Revelation, it says to him who loves us, and then Jesus, though he's... Though, though the, the experience of seeing him may be scary, he puts his hand on John and says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands is this, the seven stars are the, the angels or the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then the next two chapters are letters to the messenger, to the angel of each of these specific churches that are listed. It's Revelation chapter 1. Amen. Powerful stuff. Kind of strange stuff. It gets stranger throughout the book of Revelation. Like I said, we're not doing a whole series in this uh, because we would just need a lot more time. Maybe we do that at some point. Would you guys want to do that? Like do a deep dive into Revelation at some point? I think it could be kind of fun. All right. But this summer we're going to be in these letters. Today, though, I want to give you some context. So this is not necessarily a series in Revelation, but want to give you some information about Revelation. What we just read, written by John, many think this is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and wrote the Epistles 1, 2, and 3 John. Some think it's not the same person. There's some argument there. We're just going to put it all kind of out there on the table today. 
but his name is John. Uh, written to the churches of Asia Minor, these, these seven specific churches, but it, seven is also the number of perfection or completeness in, to the mind of the first century Jew. So, so seven churches also, the, the stuff in here is written specifically to those seven churches. Historically, like these were actual places, actual people, actual churches it, with real stuff going on in, in the world around them. And the things in Revelation speak to those real things, right? There's an actual context there. And seven being the number of perfection, these seven churches are representative of all churches at all times. So our expectation is that God is writing something specific, John is writing something specific to these people based on what they were experiencing, and that this letter can speak to us as a church, Grace Midtown, the church in our, in our world today, the church in Atlanta today, the church at Grace Midtown today, in our very lives. And what I love about this series is we're going to be looking at, you know, the church in Ephesus and the church in Smyrna, the letter Jesus is writing. And I would encourage us to ask the question, if Jesus were writing a letter to the church in America, what would it say? Based on our current moment. If Jesus were writing a letter to the church in Atlanta, a letter to Grace Midtown Church. What would he say in that letter? If he were writing a letter to, to you, Sam Breen, to you, Blake and Kelly Howard, to you, Rob Capel, what would, the, what would the letter say? I think this is important, an important posture for us to take this summer. Now, Revelation is full of all sorts of odd-looking and sounding things. There's beasts and there's fire and there's this woman that gets referred to as and there's this there's Babylon and there's, there's all kinds of characters playing out the drama. And, um, and then there's just la there's language that's used that's not really used in other places in the New Testament and definitely not language we would use today. And the thing is, here's where we get Revelation wrong is we read it and we focus on the things that seem odd to us, and we, we don't realize that actually the things that, most of the things that seem odd to us would not have seemed odd to the first century audience. They would have gotten it, because there, uh, there are a lot of allusions, references to cultural things in their day and the literary things in their day. So they would have gone, oh, I see what you're doing there. You're, 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 you're making a Big Daddy reference, Rob. Right? Like, if this sermon got recorded and people 2,000 years from now watched it, they'd be like, what is this big dad? Teeth were made of wool. There must be something there for us. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, that was just a side thing. That was just a reference. And so, so often we look at the, the things that seem odd and we go, okay, there's got to be something here. And then, and, and we actually don't realize that the, the first century audience, the, the thing, those things wouldn't have been odd. What's odd is the, the tweaks to those cultural references and the things that, that were different than the way they would normally get used. I'll give you some examples of this in just a few minutes. But what we end up doing is we, we look at the odd stuff and then we try to decode Revelation to try to like find out when Jesus is coming back or who's going to be president or what, you know, world event is going to be the fulfillment of our biggest fears. And, and it's, it, it, we decode it to try to get information about the day in which we live, rather than letting these words challenge us and challenge the way we live in the day in which we live, which is actually the point 
of the scriptures. Jesus has a sword coming out of its mouth, out of his mouth. And if we'll let him, that sword is, is not going to kill our enemies with that sword. He's not going to harm us with that sword. But if we'll let him, he will, he will cut to the heart. With his words, he'll divide bone and marrow, spirit and marrow. He will he'll cut us to the core, not to wound us, not to hurt us but to call us closer to him. Because when Jesus speaks to us, he, he says things. This is what the sword coming out of his mouth says things like this. Okay, return to your first love. Look how far you've fallen. This is what the sword in his mouth does. The sword in his mouth says, hey, I'm, I'm knocking at the door. If you'll let me in, I'll come in and I'll eat with you. Now there's all sorts of challenging things that he says with that sword as well. But I wonder how many of us avoid these words. First of all, because it's just kind of strange and weird and we don't know what to do with it. But then also, maybe we're a little scared. If Jesus had something to say to us and if we could actually hear it, maybe we're a little scared of what he might have to say. Are you pleased with me in my life? Are you mad at me? for what I've done or haven't done? Are you holding that against me? Are you disqualifying me? Are you gonna send me to be a missionary to some country I don't wanna go to? <laughs> How many people are like, I don't know if I wanna hear from Jesus, I'm scared he's gonna send me to somewhere. Because of something my youth pastor said one time. <laughs> this summer is gonna be, a, it's a summer of, of saying, Jesus, cut me with your sword. Speak to me. Are we down for that? Yeah, I'm excited about it. So this letter is written to encourage the churches of Asia Minor and the church in Rome in the first century. They were facing hard times. The first century church, they were, they were being persecuted. They were being put to death. And we're going to get to this in a moment, what some of that persecution looked like. But much of, of even the language that's used here speaks specifically, it's alluding to the trials they're facing, the temptations they're facing, and the persecution they're facing. And the biggest thing facing the church was, the N.T. writes, as the biggest threat to this growing church in Rome was actually the fastest growing religion in the world at the time. The, the, the biggest threat was another religion, the fastest growing religion in the world at the time, and that religion was that of emperor worship. The worship of Caesar was the biggest threat to the growing church of the first century. What I mean is this, that starting with Julius Caesar uh, at the beginning of the first century, just before, and then throughout the first century, there's this, this succession of various Caesars, and there, there's this thought where these Caesars thought that they were gods, and they wanted people to believe that they were gods and they wanted to be worshipped by the people. And by the time you get to, and, and different Caesars kind of behaved differently, but by the time you get later in the first century, you got a guy named Domitian who, uh, who was requiring people to worship him and bow down to him or they would be put to death. And it was thought that uh, he would go through, so his headquarters were in Ephesus, the Agora. There's this, 
uh, place of, of trade taking place where, where it was thought that, that people would be required to burn incense in worship to the Caesar and that if they burned incense, then they would get some sort of a mark on their body that would say, hey, okay, you, you, you did the thing you're supposed to do. You've worshipped Caesar, so now you can trade. You can buy and sell. Um, and there's a question for the first century churches and the, the Christians. Do we worship Caesar in order to be able to participate in society and even feed our kids? It was also thought that, that uh, Domitian would go through town, especially in Ephesus, with 24 singers with him who would worship him, singing about his holiness and his glory. Parading through the streets, and if people wouldn't come out and bow down to him and worship, they would be put to death. Um, the Domitian Games were started as like Domitian's own Olympics. And, uh, and this was held in, in Ephesus too. And, uh, and it was, uh, it, it's, it's thought that he would have uh, representatives of different places and cities come to the Domitian Games and he would give a message to those people and he would say, okay, here's what I, comm- I for this I commend you, yet this I hold against you. If you don't change this, then I will come to you and I'll, I'll destroy you. And so then what we have in these next two chapters is these letters to the churches that have a template that's eerily similar to Domitian's messages to these churches, these, or not these churches, these cities, these places. And Jesus, the one who's truly on the throne, the one who truly reigns forever and ever, the one to whom all glory is actually true, the one whom, as he sits on his throne, thousands upon thousands of angels worship him singing, holy, holy, holy. Is, this is actually what's happening in reality, not Domitian. He sends a series of letters, and his template for these letters, it goes like this. Hey, uh, these are the words of him who, this is, a, okay, so we'll look at, the, at Ephesus, which we'll actually preach about in a few weeks. But for example, Hey, this is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the lampstands. There's a description of Jesus at the beginning of each letter. Then he says, I know your deeds. I know that here's basically what I commend you for, your perseverance. Then he says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Then he gives a warning. "If um, If you don't repent, I'll remove your lampstand. Then he says something that Domitian would never say. He says, he makes a promise. He says, to the one who's victorious, to the one who overcomes, here's what I'll give them. You see, the things that stand out to us, we're like, man, that's weird. Jesus is writing a letter and commending people and warning them. No, it's not weird. This is something that was already happening. What stands out is that Jesus says, hey, to the one who overcomes, you can come sit on my throne with me. To the one who overcomes, I'll give a new name. To the one who overcomes, I'll give some of the hidden manna. We're going to get into all this stuff this summer. What's the point? The biggest threat to the first century church was the worship of Caesar, emperor worship. What's the point of the book of Revelation? Why was it written? Why was it sent to these people? Why are we reading it today? It's not so we can figure out events that are going to take place in the 21st century in the United States. 
think about that for just a second. John's like, the United what? I'm looking at the greatest superpower that's ever existed. I'm in the middle of it. He's writing to, to them. And there are things that would take place shortly after. Most of the stuff that we read about in Revelation is either happening in, the, in that moment or it happens shortly after, most of it. No, the point, the point of the book of Revelation, and this is agreed upon by New Testament scholars the world over, the point of the book of Revelation is faithfulness to Jesus. It's faithfulness to Jesus. See, the first century church there, it's growing, it's expanding, but what expansion looked like was these little dots around the Roman Empire meeting in people's homes in these cities. They, they were largely poor, insignificant, um, and they were facing this incredible threat. Worship Caesar or be killed or at the very least probably not be able to have a, run your business and survive. What do we do? What do we do? And the, the question they're asking themselves and the question they're asking God is, are we missing it? Are we missing out? I'm referring to this as first century FOMO. Are we missing out? Are we missing out as everyone else? Because everyone else, this is working for, and there are even people, Christians, followers of Jesus who are saying, just worship Caesar. Just worship Domitian. He's got a big ego. Just, let, just tell him he's holy and glorious and then go on about your day. In fact, these people were known as the Nicolaitans. They come up in the following chapters. Jesus says he hates their practices. So what are they to do? Are we missing it? Are we missing out? Basically, are we wrong for continuing to follow this crucified Jew? When there is a powerful Roman emperor and there are people all around us pressuring, either responding to the pressure or pressuring us to worship him in like fashion. Are we wrong? Are we wrong to continue to worship and follow the slain lamb? Because that sounds good when you're singing a worship song, but when you get out in the streets doesn't make for a great mascot. And Revelation was written to answer that question with a resounding no. You're not wrong. You're not missing it. You're not missing out because John, the curtain is lifted and he sees the throne at the center of all reality. Not just heaven as in some place way out there or some time way out in the future, but the, the center of all reality, there's a throne, and the one sitting on it looks like a slain lamb. This is what he sees, actually, in, in Revelation 4 and 5. After this, I looked, and before me was a door standing open in heaven. This is after those, those seven letters. 
And I, the voice I heard said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And there, the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow. And surrounding the throne were 24 th- other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold. And, and there were flashes and rumblings and seven spirits. And I'm skipping down. The center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, and okay, gross, and there's an eagle, and there's a, an ox, and these are also allusions to, to Roman emperor stuff that we don't have time for. Six wings on each one, and day and night they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the living creatures give glory, and they say he's the one who lives forever and ever, and they lay down their crowns. And they say, you're worthy, our Lord and our God. Then I saw at the right hand of him who was sat on the throne a scroll in writing. And who's able to break the scroll? And this is also an allusion to Roman emperor stuff. And I wept because there was no one able to open the scroll. And then someone said, don't weep. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And they cried out, you're worthy to take the scroll. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They circled the throne and in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The curtain is lifted. John looks and he sees what he couldn't see before. And that there's a throne at the center of all that there is. And on that throne is not the appearance of a, a roaring lion, though there's the sound of a roaring lion. On that throne is not a Roman emperor, though the songs are similar. On that throne is a lamb who'd been slain. Because the message coming out of the book of Revelation is, yeah, you've got it bad. And yeah, you're being, you're being threatened and you're being tempted and you're being tried and you're being challenged and you're being put to death and you're being told to bow before someone else who thinks that they're God, who says that they live forever and ever and who says that they're on a throne and they have 24 people singing and all that stuff. But, but John's able to say, I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've seen the reality and I've seen who's actually on the throne. And because I'm seeing this, I can say it's worth it to hang in there. It's worth it to not bow to the other. It's worth it to not, it's worth it to endure. It's worth it to stay faithful to this Jesus. The question you've been asking either out loud or inside yourself, am I missing it? Am I missing out? Because all my friends who aren't following Jesus, they seem to have it better. Am I missing out? Nope, I've got enough perspective. I can see that the Daily Grind coffee shop is in the dominoes. I'm going to make that story work. The point was faithfulness to Jesus. Am I missing it? Where are you asking yourself, am I missing it? Am I missing out? Yeah, am I? Come on, let's get real. You single folks, are you asking yourself, are you asking God, like, am I missing out? 
are these values I'm still holding to just like dated and not even worth it anymore? Because I'm looking around and it just seems like I'm the only one not enjoying this season of their life. I feel like I'm the one missing something. In the way you're conducting business, are you looking around and going, am I missing out? By trying to work and lead and live with integrity? Because I'm looking around at everybody else. It seems that however they're doing it seems to be working better for them. In the thoughts you're wrestling with in your mind when you're going to sleep at night. In the decisions you're making for your life. In the way you're relating to the people around you, are, are you asking yourself, God, am I missing it? Am I missing out? Where are you tempted to ask? Where are you asking that question right now? A couple other things I want to hit before we're done here. So this is a revelation of Jesus. It's, Jesus is revealed. Reality is revealed, but Jesus is revealed. And at the center of the book of Revelation is Jesus. Revelation is all about Jesus. And he is revealed in chapter 1. As the one who was dead and who is alive, as the Alpha and Omega, as the beginning and the end, as the one who is and who was and who is to come, meaning that he, he somehow exists across time and outside of time and holds time in his hands, all of it. So where we're fixed in our finite moment of life, and this is the challenge, we want to be present. We want to be, I want to live in the present moment, Right? And I need perspective. And Jesus is saying, I've, I, I'm the one who is and was and is to come. I'm, I'm, I'm here for all of it. I hold it all in my hands. He's on the throne. The lamb who was slain is still victorious. What does that mean? That means that Jesus, Jesus does not triumph through violence. And to follow Jesus means that we don't triumph through violence. Jesus is the one who triumphs by suffering violence. And this is still the call for the followers of Jesus at the end of the first century. Is there another way? Do we revolt? Do we fight back? What do we need to do? Do we give in? Nope. The turns out the cross is still the way. That's the message. Turns out the cross, turns out what Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross, that's still relevant towards the end of the first century. Man, I was really hoping for another answer. <laughs> and what, is it, what does this letter have to say to us today? Turns out that forgiving your enemies and those who've hurt you, loving your enemies and those who think differently from you, leaving vengeance to God, meaning it may or may not happen is still the thing. Turns out the cross is still the way. Turns out to be a follower of Jesus in 2021 in Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States of America, still means following a lamb who was slain. He has a sword coming from his mouth we mentioned this already. Don't be afraid, is what he says. I'm not going to hurt you. I will cut you. That's 
I'll cut you. That's what Jesus, this is what Jesus has to say, I'll cut you. That means something different to us also. I'm not going to hurt you, but these words will cut to the heart. And guys, I, I've come into this Sunday, my, I feel like my heart is cut open today. I'm just, just reading these passages, just been in this even just for the past week. And my, I feel this tenderness in my heart and this, this desire, first of all, just a, a humility, a reverence for Jesus and this desire for my life to be pleasing to him. That's what, I mean, that's the thing I'm like feeling this morning. God, I'm living and I'm leading and I'm doing my best most of the time. <laughs> but are you, is, is, the, is my life pleasing to you? What do you have to say to me? We would be those who are brave enough to listen to the words of Jesus. And then finally, this is just the final observation that I think is really important for us today. The band can come on back up. John says that he looks and he sees Jesus walking among the lampstands. Among them. The revelation of Jesus is not that, yeah, he's on the throne at the center of all reality. Yet, He's not out there somewhere waiting for us to worship him and praise him or waiting for us to die so we can join the thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. He's not there waiting for us to have our own little Patmos moment where we're like, I finally get it. No, he's saying, here's what I want these seven churches to know. I'm the one who walks among them. I'm in your midst. Is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is revealed as the one Walking among the lampstands. And when I, when I read this earlier this week, I was in the cafe actually on Tuesday. I was just, I'm just reading, some, just, just reading, just reading Revelation. And it hit me and I, I, I was overwhelmed because I realized, man, am I aware? Am I aware of that? Or am I living so often as if the lampstands are on their own? I've got my little lampstand that I'm responsible for, and God, I hope it's going well. And Jesus is going, I'm here, I'm, I'm in your midst. I'm among the lampstands. I'm in your life, I'm in the church, I'm in the churches, I'm in your life. I'm in your life, Ryan. I'm in your life, Sarah. I'm, in, I'm, I'm walking among you. Is our revelation of Jesus that he is in our midst? Or do we know, you know, intellectually, yeah, yeah, he's here, he's always present. But is our experience and understanding of reality actually that he's somewhere that I got to get to or I've got to reach or if I pray enough or if I spend enough time in silence, you know, but I got to get the kids to be quiet or whatever. If I practice enough spiritual disciplines, if I read the whole Bible in a year, if I, then I'll experience his presence. He's saying, I'm here. I'm here. In every moment. We're going to respond this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand up. We're going to respond with a song that I'm really excited for us to sing. It's one that, um, that my wife and I actually wrote together 
earlier in the pandemic. And um, then some friends came along and, and helped us finish it. And, uh, and then she just put it out uh, Friday. It's called Holy, Holy, Here With Me. And um, I wasn't thinking we were going to do this song today. I actually had another thing I wanted us to do. But then as I started to think more about this message, it actually just felt like this is, this is the thing. But here's the deal with this song is, you know, it was a, an attempt to take this picture and this language and this expression of holy, holy, holy that can feel so out there or feel so reserved for like a church service or feel so, yeah, he's on the throne and there's the angels, but you got to see the weird angels with the eyes all over him to really get it, you know. And it's, it's, it can feel so beyond. And to take that language, holy, 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 and to, and to somehow articulate and get a hold of the holiness of, of this moment. The holiness of every moment. The, the phrase came to me, holy, holy, here with me. Came to my mind when I was going to the store to buy some fajita stuff <laughs> to cook for dinner. I was getting fajitas. <laughs> I was getting out of my car and this phrase just came to my mind. And I think that's, that's the hope. That's the hope of this message. That's the hope of the song. That's the hope of the moment we're entering into is, God, can we, can I have revelation? Can the curtain be lifted enough for me to see that you're here in my midst, in the middle of my life, in the mundane moments of my life, in the diapers, in the dishes, in the, the late night work that just stretched way past five in the meeting, in the traffic, in the, the vacation, the beach vacation, in the hospital tragedy, the highs, the lows, all of it. Can I, can I experience the one who's on the throne actually walking among the lampstand of my life? So Jesus, now we just ask that you would help our eyes open Help our ears open and to see and experience you and your presence and your love right here in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.